Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. It seems that the work of Jesus engenders one of two responses. It's either astonishment or anger. Yeah, that's what we've seen in our study so far in the book of Mark. Jesus either softens hearts towards him or hardens hearts. So which is it for you? Which response do you have? And maybe more importantly, what is the appropriate way to express that response back to him? Hey, this message is kind of a short one. It's the message I gave right before we had communion together on a Sunday morning. So it's a little different, but I hope it's a blessing to you. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to be remembering what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, that's what we've gathered here together to do. Uh, all the time, every time we gather. That's why we're here. And so we're going to kind of take a special uh, effort at that today as we um, practice communion together this morning. Um, For this year, we've been in the book of Mark, studying the life of Jesus through Mark's eyes. I, I don't know how long it's been, about 22, 24 weeks, something like that so far. We've just really been all in the book of Mark and uh, we're not quite halfway through the book of Mark. We still got a long way to go uh, before we're finished because we've been taking our time and just mining the Word of God for truth. I love it. I love I love just slowly and methodically digging through a book of the Bible. Amen. Do you like that? Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I just love, I love doing that. And so um, I want us to take a minute before we... Uh, move into communion time, I want us to take a minute to remember the story so far. You know, we've been studying Jesus's life. Let's remember the story so far. It started uh, in Mark chapter 1 with John the Baptist. Mark says the beginning of the gospel is John the Baptist. And so he introduces John to us in his ministry. And then almost right after that, Jesus shows up on the scene and uh, we see Jesus's baptism and his temptation. Remember when we studied that? He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and he is tempted there uh, in the wilderness. And then Jesus returns to Galilee and he begins his ministry and he begins his ministry with the gospel. In fact, the first thing he does is he begins to preach his kingdom message. It is repent for the kingdom of God is near or is at hand. And so Jesus' whole message is all about repenting and believing in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about all throughout his entire ministry. In fact, what we see is that Jesus' pattern is always the same thing. He preaches and then he proves, right? He's preaching his message, and then he's proving his message with his miracles that he does over and over and over again. So we see him preach, and then as he enters Capernaum, we see him begin to prove. Uh, He has that encounter with the demon guy, and uh, uh, the demons are angry that Jesus is messing with them. And so Jesus uh, shows them that he's the one in charge. He calls some people to come and follow him, and he says, I will teach you to fish for men. 
Jesus, through his teaching and his casting out of demons and his healing, he proves that he has this exousia authority, right? This exousia authority over everyone, everything, right? He's the one with the power over all. It's not just authority like a job title. It's this supernatural divine authority, this power, this exousia and it's at that time that his ministry just explodes, man. Uh, it just explodes everywhere. People start bringing their sick and their dying to Jesus there in Capernaum. And uh, all kinds of people are getting healed. So much so that it gets late into the evening. Nobody gets a break. Jesus finally goes to bed late and so do the disciples. And early that next morning, Jesus goes out into the woods to have his quiet time. And it's there that God speaks to him. And Jesus tells his disciples what God said he says, we must go to other towns. We've got to go to the other towns and preach the gospel because that's why I've come. So Jesus does. He begins to travel around the Galilee area, preaching and proving everywhere. Uh, he's, he encounters a leper who is healed. And then that paralytic is lowered down in that home and healed. And that's when the Pharisees begin to question Jesus. They begin to question what is he really all about? So they question him about forgiveness. You know, Jesus claims that he can forgive sins. And the Pharisees say, no, only God can forgive sins. How can you do this? They begin to question him on that. They question him on his fasting. John's disciples fast, but apparently Jesus' disciples don't fast. Why is that? And they question him about his Sabbath practices. Why are you doing things that you shouldn't do on the Sabbath, especially healing? So they start questioning Jesus on these things. They start kind of pushing back, and the tension begins to rise. But you continue to see as we move into Mark chapter 3, huge crowds are just following Jesus. I mean, it's just lots and lots of people. Everybody loves Jesus, except maybe the Pharisees, except maybe the Sadducees, except maybe the scribes, the, re the religious people don't love him, but everybody else does. Huge crowds are following him, and that's when Jesus names his 12 apostles. He actually picks 12 out of the ones that are following him uh, to be his apostles. And that's about the time the Pharisees begin to accuse him of being a blasphemer. They say that the reason he's doing the miracles is because he's from the devil, right? He works for Satan. And so that's where he gets his power from. And Jesus warns about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Remember when we talked about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Jesus talks about that to them there um, in chapter and then we, deal, we dealt with Jesus' real family. Stephen Mansell brought a message about Jesus' real family. Jesus shows us who his real family is. Then we get into Mark 4. And Jesus takes a day to teach. It's just teaching day. And he teaches with parables that he unpacks to the disciples so that they can understand. He does the parables of the soils, the seed, the lamp, and the mustard seed. So he's just teaching, and as he's teaching the disciples, it gets late in the day, and he says, there's one more lesson for you to learn. Let's go get in the boat. And they learn the lesson the hard way, because the storm comes in the nighttime, and Jesus calms the storm there on the Sea of Galilee. It's an amazing miracle that blows them away. And they get to the other side, and that's when Jesus encounters that legion of demons in that guy. Remember the homeless guy who was cutting himself and screaming day and night? Remember that? Do you remember that part? Yep. Yeah. 
And Jesus uh, says, what's your name? It's Legion because there's so many of us. So he casts the demon. Where does he cast him? Into the pigs. Why? We don't know why. <laughs> we think that's crazy, but that's what Jesus does is he casts them into the pigs. And sure enough, the demons, they get into the pigs. And what happens? Yeah, the pigs all run off the cliff and they drown. And so the townspeople come out to see what's going on, and they love Jesus, don't they? No, because Jesus ruins their economy, and so they're like, get out of town, dude, and he does. Jesus says, okay, you don't want me, I'll leave. And so he gets back in the boat, and he heads back across to the Galilee area where he meets Jairus. We studied Jairus' story two weeks ago. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels where Jairus, this somebody, is desperate for his daughter to be healed. She's at her end. She's at her eschaton. And he comes and says, I've tried everything. Will you come heal my daughter? Uh, but then there's this hijack, right? There's this nobody that kind of hijacks Jesus' time. This woman who sneaks up behind him. And what does she do? She she touches not just the edge of his garment, but the what? The fringe. Yeah, she touches the fringe of his garment, showing that she is a person of deep faith, deep biblical knowledge. And because she knows something about who he really is, she receives the power to be healed, which is an amazing thing. Usually unclean contaminates the clean. But in this case, because of her faith, it was the holy that decontaminated her unclean. Jesus, for Jesus, remember, holy is contagious. <laughs> and so I love that story. I love this combination of stories. Then Jesus, uh, they find out that the girl is, is dead, Jairus' daughter. So Jesus goes and he raises the girl from the dead, just blowing everybody away. Uh, it's just miracle story after miracle story with Jesus, right? And that's what we've seen so far in five chapters uh, of the book of Mark. And, and one consistency that we've seen is that throughout Mark, there are two different responses to Jesus. There's two primary responses that everybody's got one of two. They're either amazed at Jesus and who he is and what he does, or they get angry. They, they're either, they either have amazement or they have anger. So all the people, every time they heard Jesus preach, every time they saw him cast out demons, every healing that they experienced, they were amazed, they were astonished, they were astounded, right? I mean, everybody, they couldn't, how, how great is this guy? And they even started talking, could he be the Messiah? They were amazed at him. But the other crowd, they weren't amazed, they were angry. Who was this crowd? Who was the angry crowd? The, yeah, the Pharisees, the religious crowd, the good church people. They saw Jesus at work, and it just made them angry. They, they just kept pushing back. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't digest it. They couldn't, they, they couldn't internalize it. And so they got angrier and angrier, so angry that they started to plot to kill Jesus. Amazement versus anger. You've, you've seen what it's like for angry religious people, right? You know angry religious people. I've been in churches where it seems like everybody there is saved and mad about it. You know? 
I mean, you've been to those deacon meetings, not our deacon meetings, but you've been to those deacon meetings at other church where, you know, I've been saved for 50, 60 years, and I'm going to make sure everybody else knows how miserable it is to be saved. You know, it just seems like there's a, a lot of angry religious people out there for one reason or another, because here, here's the thing about, here's the thing we've seen about Jesus, is Jesus's purpose in what he does is to either soften hearts toward him or harden hearts toward him, right? He's either going to amaze you or he's going to anger you. And you've seen both, right? I don't, know, I don't know about you, but dude, I want to be the person who's always living life in total amazement of Jesus. I just want to live a life where I am blown away by how good he is to me. Amen? I mean, has Jesus been good to you in your life? Here's what I want you to do. You know that old song? You know that old song? It goes like this. Count your blessings Name them one by one. You know this song? How, how much time do we spend counting our blessings and being in amazement of Jesus? Because I think we spend a lot more time and a lot more energy counting our misery and our sorrows. I think, I think we take so for granted the everyday blessings that Jesus pours out on us all the time and we get all focused in on the little area that I didn't get blessed in, you know? So we gather together, and we're supposed to be a gathering of amazement. But what happens is, how are you doing? You doing okay, you know? And you get this response. Oh, well, let me tell you what happened again this week. Let me tell you what broke down this week. Let me tell you what went wrong again this week. Let me tell you how bad it got to be at work. Let me tell you how awful it is with my kids. Right? I mean, and I feel like we get so focused, we get so focused on the not blessings, but on the sorrows, and we forget to be amazed at how good he is. Is it just me? What do you think? So let's just do this together. Let's just, let's just spend a moment of amazement together. I'm going to ask everybody to do this with me. Close your eyes. Close your eyes with me. Just close your eyes. And just for a quiet moment, count your blessings. What are some of the things that Jesus has blessed you with? Lauren, the term blessing means to show favor or goodness. So what has Jesus blessed you with? And I mean even just, just take, don't, don't even think, what about just the little things? I mean, good grief, we are so blessed by God to live in the greatest country ever this world has ever seen. We're so blessed to be among the 5% of wealthiest people on the planet that were able to drive a car to church today. We're in the top 5% wealthiest people on the planet. We're so blessed to have the freedom of worship. We can gather here together in amazement at him. So many people around the world do not have that privilege we're able to get up in the morning and not have to worry about how many traffic lights we got to sit through in order to get where we're going because we live in such a beautiful place. Okay, we're able to get up in the morning. So I know you got blessings in your life. I do. Man, I've been married to my best friend for 33 years. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. 
My 80-something-year-old parents were worshiping with us in the early service this morning. Thank you, God. What a blessing. My daughter and my son-in-law and my two grandkids on that side live right here in LJ with us. Thank you, God. What a blessing. My son and his wife and their two kids don't live too far away for now, but they're about to embark on a new stage in their life. What a blessing, God. Thank you. Somebody call out, what's a blessing that he's blessed you with? Somebody call it out. Still breathing, thank you, Lord. Building a fellowship hall, thank you, Lord, for using us to help build your kingdom. Mm, Thank you, God, for salvation for family members. Mm, thank you for Mr. Baker, Lord, in the hospital today, but receiving your blessing of healing. Come on, a couple more. Granddaughters, nothing like grandkids. Thank you, Lord. Kids, nothing like kids. Thank you, Lord. Always oh, blessed us so much. If we just stop and begin to count how good he is, we begin to realize how amazed we should be. It amazes us, Lord, how good you are to us. Thank you, Father, for your amazing favor, your amazing goodness to us. Lord, we're not going to forget. We're going to remember. But everybody look this way. There's one, there's one thing that above all of those blessings, there's one thing that he does for us that makes all the rest of them seem really, really small. The one thing, that one thing, that if it wasn't for that one thing, that none of the rest of them would have any real meaning at all. And the one thing that he's done for us that we all ought to be so grateful and amazed for is that he chose to forgive each and every one of us. He chose to forgive us, right? That should amaze us because you know who you were. You and I both know who we were. We weren't just on the outs with God. But we were treasonous criminals against a holy God. By our very existence, we were born into a race, a species of people who stood with the accuser, accusing God of being non-worthy of being God. We were criminals against him. And by the very breath we took, God was not right with us. God was angry with us because he had made us in his beautiful image. He had made us to look like him, talk like him, act like him, but we were not that. We were ruined against that. And so this distorted, twisted, disfigured creation that had been broken by our sin was now under the wrath of God, the judgment of God, judgment coming for all of us. God loved us so much he sent his son to come here and to take all that on himself and to pay the price in our place to die in our place to experience the judgment the wrath of God in his own body so that you and I would not have to he took our punishment and he took our sin to the grave but three days later he rose again without it 
and he lives today to change you and me more and more into his image. Amen? Amen. He forgives us, and now he's changing us. One of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said that a Christian is the person who is amazed that he's forgiven. Does that amaze you? It should amaze you that he forgives you because you didn't just sin against him, but you still will sin against him. Right? You're going to keep, to one degree or another, trampling on the grace of God. I know you don't want to, but you're going to. And he knows every single instance of those. And yet he has forgiven you of all of them. Thank you, God. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? This is the most important thing. This blows everything else away. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I passed on to you what was most important. This is the most important thing and what had also been passed on to me. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. The most important blessing you've ever received is that you've been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, your destiny is no longer death, but it's life. In fact, it says in Ephesians, Paul writes to us. In Ephesians, he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Yeah, we used to follow a different commander. We used to obey a different king. No wonder God was angry. He made us to be his own. And yet we went a whole other direction. We went and worshiped instead the accuser of the one true king. So that commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So it's easy to look around and you look at the news and you see the murderers, you see the rapists, you see the terrorists, and you think, yeah, that's why God's angry. Sure, God's angry at them. Judgment is coming for the killers. Judgment is coming for the criminals. Judgment is coming for the ones that are stealing and robbing and hurting and all that. Judgment is coming for them. But he says right here that we used to live that way and be under his wrath just like everyone else. Just as guilty. Just as guilty just as much under the death penalty um, from God. But Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, and he says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. It's not because of what you did. It's not because of how good you look or how right you feel like you are or how many good things you've done. It's by God's grace that you and I have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Amen? 
Yeah, we're no longer criminals against him, but now we're royalty. We're seated in heaven with Christ. Holy cow, we deserve to be punished for what we've done, yet he regards us as his own royalty, co-heirs to the throne with Christ. That ought to amaze each and every one of us. So, it's not even just that good, but look how good it is. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That means that not only has he elevated you to this status of being a co-heir with Christ, but one day... The accuser will accuse him again and say, you're not worthy of being God. You're not good enough to be God. You're not powerful enough to be God. And God, according to Ephesians right here, will say, you want to see how good I am? You want to see if I'm worthy of being God? Well, there's the evidence right there. It's right here. You just look right there. That's the evidence. Look how good I am because you can see it in my children. Amen? He points to us as the examples. And I want, I want my life to just be an example of God's goodness. You know, I know I fail him. I know I let him down. I know I drop the ball all the time, but man, I want my life to be a life of amazement. I want to live in amazement of how good he is, and I always want to respond to him in that amazement with a soft heart, tender, uh, responding to the Holy Spirit so that I'm becoming more and more like him all the time. Amen? Amen? Amen. When I, when I remember his good, most important thing for me, it ought to just amaze, amaze the snot out of me. Here's how Paul says it in Ephesians 3. He says, when I think of all this, all this that he's just described, the saving work of Jesus for me and you, when I think about this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. Paul was so overwhelmed, he was so amazed at this remembrance of what Jesus had done for him that it drove him to his knees. He responded in total amazement. He couldn't just sit there and look at it and think, well, yeah, but that balances out against all the other junk I got to go through. He was so amazed, it just overtook him and he went to his knees. He prayed, I'm sure he prayed thanking God for all he had done. So what we're doing today, today is we're having a gathering of amazement. We're having a gathering to remember the most important thing that Jesus did for us, forgiving us. So we're going to do it biblically. We're going to do it the way Paul outlined for us to do it in 1 Corinthians 11. He said this, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and he said, This is my body just given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Do this in remembrance. This ought to engender amazement in us. It ought to engender gratitude in us. It ought to <clears throat> engender humility in us as we surrender ourselves more and more to Him.